today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Time for the Chiefs Town Hall. Hamilton Chief of Police Eric Gerd is going to join us, and uh, we'll uh, have the Chief on for the entire hour. And uh, we will take an opportunity for your phone calls, your questions, your comments to the Hamilton Chief of Police, uh, also emails and tweets, of course. Uh, you can reach us by phone, 905-645-3221, 645-3221. Uh, on email, bkelly at 900chml.com, and on Twitter at chml Bill Kelly. We'll go to your calls and your tweets and your emails in uh, just a couple of seconds. Uh, Chief, thanks, uh, first of all, for coming in. Great to talk with you again. It's been a while. Morning, Bill, and welcome back to you, too. Good to be back, I tell you. Good to be back. Uh, lots has gone on, uh, lots of points to discuss uh, that we're going to get to, and, of course, give an opportunity here uh, for what's going to be happening uh, through the phones and some of the questions I'm sure people in the community and our listeners uh, will have for you in a little while. Uh, and I've been making notes while I was away, Chief. Uh, I had some stuff I wanted to talk to you about uh, based on some of the emails that I've been receiving over the last couple of weeks. Uh, one of them, the more contentious issue, I guess, uh, that uh, that I know you've been dealing with for some time now, uh, is the school liaison program. And I think, as I mentioned, uh, and you and I have discussed this on the program in the past, Chief, uh, this is a, an interesting topic because if, as far as I can recall, it was a program that essentially started right here in Hamilton. I know so many other communities started it out uh, and have, have actually mirrored what Hamilton was doing, but I, I can still remember having discussions with, uh, well, Chief Ken Robertson back in those days about the idea of this and the intent of this. Uh, it's uh, fallen into disfavor, shall we say, by if I, in the eyes of an awful lot of people. What's, what's going on with that program now? Well, to your point, it started in 1994, and it was out of the East End originally, and uh, Rob yeah. Nye, now Sergeant, uh, implemented it, and then, of course, we went service-wide. And we worked very closely with the school board at that time. And, of course, it, it serves a number of things. Uh, as you know, uh, since the time of inception, we've had a lot of issues, uh, particularly in the States, with active shooters. Uh, it was a safety issue within the schools. The idea was to um, see officers, and we have diverse officers in that role, uh, working in the schools to make connections with kids, you know, when it wasn't just an investigative or a matter where we've been called for criminal conduct. And a lot of presentations, as you know, on uh, cyberbullying, on bullying in general, um, all those type of things, vaping, uh, you know, they've evolved through the course of time, uh, but, uh, you know, they've chosen not to, uh, or they're going to review it, which is fine, uh, but we believe in the efficacy of the program. And I think if you look at uh, you know, an academic study that is out there, and it was done in 2018 by Dr. Linda Duxbury and Craig Bunnell from Carleton uh, in Peel. Uh, they did a very comprehensive study, and there were lots of positives that came out of that. Yes, there were some dissenting voices, but in totality, including parents, educators, and the kids, it was largely positive. So I think in a jurisdiction that's probably more diverse than ours, uh, it's instructive to have a look at this academic work. I, again, I remember having, I think it was, Ken Leanders, I think it was superintendent at the time, and I had a constable at that time, and I and Ken Robertson in the studio, as uh, they were talking about the inception of this program back in 1994, Chief. And if I recall, uh, among many other things that we talked about, they said the intent of the program was actually to try to build some bridges and, and some connections between uh, police and, and, and a student body, young Canadians, young Ontarians, young Hamiltonians, uh, because there seemed to be an awful lot of misconceptions about about what police were supposed to do and what was going on and, you know, we're not the bad guys in situations like this. Uh, and initially I heard some very positive response from, from school boards, from, uh, from some students, frankly, who would speak to us about this. How did this thing fall off the rails? Oh, it, it seems to have happened, oh, not suddenly, but progressively over the last number of years. 
Well, I think it actually is more sudden, and it is um, uh, a number of voices that are uh, making the statements. We do still have positives, so I don't know that it suddenly fell off the plate. I think what's happening is uh, jurisdictions are looking at it. You had a movement in Toronto some time ago, which is why Peel commissioned the academic study. And I think you need to take a look at it from that point of view, as if you're going to do a narrative on it, then do a comprehensive look at the work and uh, involve consultation, which uh, the Peel report did through Dr. Duxbury, about what the totality of the voices say. That's why I offered that up as, as a counterpoint. Uh, and then you've got academic integrity behind the uh, study as well. And, you know, if they'd had negative findings, I'm sure they would have reported all those as well. And there are some in that report, but overall it's a more positive uh, report. What kind of feedback are you getting from the school boards themselves on this? I mean, ultimately they're going to make a decision as to whether or not they want the program to continue, and I know they've already spoken about that. Uh, and, and we can discuss, I guess, in greater length if we want about, you know, what the motivation might be for them to make a decision about this. But have you received positive uh, feedback from school boards about this or this program, the efficacy of it over the number of years? Well, I won't say the boards directly because that consultation, we weren't certainly at um, at the meeting, and that's a board of education yeah. meeting, not our meeting. Uh, but I've had a number of educators and others uh, forward me positive messages about the role of the school liaison officers, how approachable many of them were, how they um, took alternate solutions than just a criminal-based solution. And as you know, with our youth crime report, uh, we've been working uh, for extrajudicial measures. In other words, don't pull them into the system. Uh, for a number of years, dating back to 1995, where we actually entrenched it in policy. So, And that, of course, mirrored what was happening at the time with the Youth Criminal Justice Act and before that, the Young Offenders Act. So there'd always been provisions for alternate responses, and that's where we want to go. I mean, that's part of the dialogue right now, is don't pull kids into the criminal system, which we tend to agree with. And if you just look at pre-charge diversion alone, and the majority of offenses uh, are, are, are uh, they're varied, but there's property and there's assaultive offenses, uh, but we work with external agencies like the John Howard Society, who have a very robust response, including um, justice circles, which of course borrows on uh, the indigenous approach to restorative justice. So many of those things have been uh, put in place within our systems. I don't know that the dialogue is happening about those, but our intent is not to draw kids into uh, criminal justice if we can help it. What are you hearing from the student bodies? I mean, a number of student associations have raised some, some serious concerns about this, and we've seen this happen in a number of different schools in the Hamilton area. Well, you would have to actually meet with, and of course, I have a student advisory council, but that's selected by the board themselves, and uh, often they're kids who want to lead within their own organizations and offer to be on that, and I meet with them on a regular basis, and with the school liaison and the divisional youth officers as well. So, you know, in large part, I'm seeing very positive things, both about whether it's uh, team sports that we get together, um, whether it's fundraising that they do, initiatives for anti-bullying, uh, whether it's... Uh, um, in support of LGBTQ and two-spirit communities and what they have been doing in the Rainbow Prom. So there's lots of facets to that, uh, but, you know, um, I don't know uh, which specific groups you'd be referring to beyond that. Well, uh, I'm just going by some of the stuff I've heard anecdotally in the, in the community over the last little while. Is they, 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 I'm getting the sense that as far as many of the students are concerned in some of the schools, especially some of the, uh, the, the Hamilton schools here, 
that the, the the liaison officers are not welcoming the school anymore. They they look at them as a hindrance, not as a as a, a as was intended to be back in 1994 when you started the program. Uh, and, and I've heard that. We've had people on this program that have talked about that, uh, about them being part of the problem, not part of the solution. How, how do you try to address a, a concern like that, Chief? Do you, do you, I mean, do, is, is there a dialogue going on with, with any of these people right now to say, look, at, let's talk about what your concerns are and how we can address them? Or do we just walk away and say, I guess it didn't work, let's just forget about it? Well, no, I don't think we would never do that. And as I say, rather than uh, rely on... Um, uh, commentary that may be more limited, that you have to take a more holistic view, which is why I refer you again to Dr. Duxbury's study, because it involved uh, interviews of all the parties, being educators, parents, caretakers, caregivers, um, all those people, and the kids themselves. So I think if you're going to take, and you're, you're talking about that, a systematic approach that is um, thorough and complete, then uh, rather rely on small uh, you know, perceptions, not small perceptions, but small groups of people. And, you know, I'm not discounting their, um, their experiences, uh, but you have to look at the totality if you're going to look at the efficacy of the program. Are you getting any feedback at all from uh, the, the, the student bodies or the schools or the school administrations uh, here in the local area? I mean, is there, is there a, a a channel for them to, to, to express their concerns and their views about this. I, I mean, in, in the absence of conversation, you get frustration, and, and that only makes things boil over. Well, we meet uh, with the schools on a regular basis, have for years, in terms of the safe schools, usually their superintendents, but up until including the director. We've had direct conversations about that. Uh, they're making their own decisions, I get that. We are guests. And, uh, you know, if, if they choose not to use our services, that is at their discretion. But there's also mandated things in the safe schools policy, whether it's lockdowns, hold and secure, all those other things, uh, bomb threat protocols that are actually in statute under the Safe Schools Act. So this is a little more complex than that. But, yes, we have a regular forum where we meet with the educators, and that's all the schools, not just uh, Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board, it involves the independents, Redeemer University, uh, the French-speaking schools, and, of course, uh, the Catholic schools as well. So uh, I don't think that we've come to a totality of all the school boards at this point, but obviously they're having a look at it. What kind of feedback are you getting during those meetings? Does it reflect some of the concerns that, that others have raised in this community? Uh, there are some, some um, contributions that way, but there's a lot of positives as well. So, you know, I think you're trying to... Uh, you know, make me state that this represents everybody, and I think... No, 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 I wasn't suggesting that at all. Well, it's the third time you've asked me the question, and I've answered it, and I say you need to take a more holistic view of all the voices, and I think that is a more responsible way, whether it is the educators, the parents, caregivers, and the students themselves. No, I, I get that. The point I'm trying to get at here, and, and, and you've answered it this time, is, is is exactly what kind of dialogue back and forth on a consistent basis is there? And I know that, as you said, you do have a student representative, but uh, uh, I don't necessarily know if they reflect this as well. I mean, we seem to have a problem here. And the, 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 the I'm hearing even from some of the board trustees now is, is they're questioning the efficacy of the program right now. Uh, and, and before there's a decision made to say, okay, let's just scrap the whole thing. And again, that, I, I, I don't necessarily think that's the best way to go here but i'm wondering what is what's being done right right now to try to, to to clear the air on some of the misunderstandings and as you said as you characterize it some of the misperceptions that some people have about the program and how effective it can be well we are hearing positive voices i say i get emails to that effect 
uh, through the course of times of those meetings. We've had many positives, including uh, those students who represent some of the student population. And part of their uh, role, too, is to be a liaison to the others. And, you know, I've asked for, and I've seen some increased diversity on that student council that meets with me, but, of course, I don't select the kids. Mm-hmm. The kids are selected by the board. So, you know, there's been some commentary it needs to be more diverse. I agree. And I've seen uh, the diversity increase on that committee, which I think is extremely important. So that's one committee that meets on a regular basis. As I say, uh, we have a standing committee with all school boards. That's another one. And, of course, the broader dialogue, whether it's with the directors or uh, now the boards themselves, that's a different issue. Had they asked us to come and present, that would be a different issue. Which I think is a good idea. I don't know if the board's even going to do that at that stage, but uh, that's the kind of dialogue I think we're looking for here, just to bring everybody to the table. What kind of feedback, if any, do you get from the officers themselves in this, Chief? Well, I know many have done the role, and they find it uh, quite positive. Uh, We do look for officers who are, quite frankly, interested in kids. Uh, I think most of our officers are, but they have a specific interest. And, of course, we have a variety of gender. Uh, We also have a variety of backgrounds in terms of uh, ethnocultural backgrounds. And we think that's an important point because if the students in the population, and, I mean, just look at Sir John A. Macdonald as a very diverse student population, we think that's important that uh, the officers who come and serve in that represent uh, some of the uh, diversity that is present in that school. So for the most part, they found it very positive the interventions before you detect criminality or the call when there is violence, you'd want to stem issues, and you know them. I mean, think back to your own school days and some of the dynamics with regard to conflict within the school or bullying. Uh, We've provided focus and been asked to provide presentations on exactly those things, Uh, cyberbullying, human trafficking even. We had a presentation not that long ago with the Student Advisory Committee on exactly that so that they were familiar with some of the risks that some of the kids uh, that they're dealing with might face and that they would have a courageous conversation with some of these kids to say, is everything okay? So it really was a conduit, and personal safety is a big issue too for kids in schools. I, I know that one of the stated goals back when you started the program uh, the, these many years ago, Chief, uh, was to create a, a, an environment where students could feel comfortable approaching an officer and, and, and expressing a concern uh, about something that maybe they couldn't feel comfortable talking to a teacher or a guidance counselor about, something that may be going on in the school environment. Is that happening on a regular basis? Through our school liaison officers, yes, it happens all the time. And again, right, in terms of the nature of the discourse out in public, I don't know that people feel as confident to talk about those positive experiences because the potential backlash that their views are so limited you know, from uh, the group that is saying, well, you don't represent everybody. Well, there's lots of opinions out there, which I agree with, and uh, lived experience is valid from whoever has the lived experience. And if it's positive, it doesn't mean that it diminishes uh, those who've had perhaps a negative experience. Chief, we're going to do a quick break. I want to come back in a couple of minutes. I know there's a lot of other things we want to touch on here. And uh, we are going to go to phone calls and uh, emails and tweets in just a few minutes as well. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chief, if we're ready to go, let's uh, go right to the phones. Uh, Michelle, you're first up on this. Welcome to the program, Michelle. Hello. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. Go ahead for the chief. Oh, uh, good morning, Chief Gert. Morning, Michelle. Um, Okay, it's... uh... So up in Kitchener, they've created what they're calling a better tent city. So what they've done, it was a collaborative effort between private and community. They've actually built 
small houses that they're like little 80 square feet. So um, it holds a bed and space for them to hold uh, their belongings. So I'm when I talked to the people behind that project, it kind of intimated that there are a few police chiefs who um, are coming on board on the concept instead of breaking up the homeless camps to keep them all in one space. So given the COVID-19, it's a proper way of social distancing. It would allow for any sorts of health professionals to have access to help, you know, assess um, any needs they may be. I envision, you know, like growing vegetables and flowers, which is kind of a form of therapy, the ability to maybe have a healing or a talking circle to help people through. So would this be something that you might advocate for along with the community? Chief, are you familiar with the program, Chief? Yeah, I'm familiar with the approaches to housing and what Michelle is talking about. And uh, in answer to your question, and thanks for the question, uh, very much in uh, we seem to have lost the chief here. Uh, we'll we'll get to uh, rehooked up in just a couple of seconds here. Uh, an interesting concept that uh, that's going on and uh, problems, obviously. And and I'm, I'm glad Michelle put this in the context of what's happening with COVID and a number of other things. Uh, and ultimately, I guess it's it's going to be local councils that are going to be involved in those sorts of initiatives. But uh, police, obviously, are going to have a role to play in this. So as soon as we get back with the chief here in just a couple of seconds, uh, we'll try to get his response on onto that one. Uh, quick reminder, though, that uh, that you can get into the queue as well uh, with the other people that are waiting to talk to the chief. 905-645-3221 at star 9900. Emails B Kelly at 900CHML.com. And on uh, Twitter at CHML Bill Kelly. I think we have reconnected. Chief, are you back with us? Yep, thanks. Okay, uh, I got disconnected on your end. I looked at my end. I just thought, boy, the light just went off. That's not good. Bingo, anyway, yeah. Well, this, this is the nature of the COVID. I get it. It uh, is, so and it's what we're dealing with. Anyway, you were saying about this program. Yeah, so thanks for the question again. I think it's an important one in terms of where the narrative is going. And when you look at housing, and I know Paul Johnson has done quite a bit of work on housing, whether it's the, uh, the way they've set it up in Kitchener, certainly for COVID, with the opening of the first Ontario Centre, it did a number of those things that Michelle just described. On a more permanent basis, I'd agree that uh, others, being the municipality who oversee these things, which are not policing issues, uh, have to come up with these more creative solutions to looking after the needs of those with homelessness, poverty, addictions, and so on. So we have been in support of alternate approaches that are not enforcement-based, that are not police-centric, I'll call it. And we have worked uh, through our social navigator program on some of the tent cities that have gone up and uh, have worked in cooperation uh, often with the uh, owners of the property, being the city quite often, to work in a way that uh, does not just dislocate people and take some more, uh, I'll call it a compassionate approach to how can we uh, solve some of these issues. But I think Michelle's raised a great issue, uh, which is there's many other agencies who have expertise and other approaches and it doesn't have to be police-centric. We're more than happy to cooperate. And, you know, from a pragmatic standpoint, if it decreases our calls for service, and we don't want to criminalize people in those contexts, uh, that's good all the way around. And that's why I mentioned pre-charge diversion earlier. We're not looking to criminalize people. We're looking to stream out of the judicial system. We know it's a costly system. We know it's quite um, lengthy in terms of the resolution. So whether it's a restorative justice circle for kids or whether it's pre-charge diversion 
or alternate approaches to many of these social issues, uh, very much in support of that. And as I was mentioning while we were reconnecting, I guess ultimately this is going to be a, a, a local council, in this case a Hamilton City Council initiative, if they did decide to go down that way. But you certainly want to be at the table, I would think. Well, and we are. It's really it's a community safety and well-being plan. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, I know it's the Police Services Act that falls under, but it really dictates the municipality has to look at key participants at that table to do much of this work. And I'll just quickly list some of the participants that are stated that have to be there through the statute. So local health integration uh, system, uh, physical or mental health providers, uh, educational services, which we already talked about, community and social services through the municipality, community and social services to kids and youth, custodial services to kids and youth. And of course, originally under the Liberal government, it just had a police service board member uh, in the rewrite by the Conservatives in Bill 68, it now includes a chief of police or designate. So that work has started. It's under Paul Johnson. And we believe many of those other participants who are largely provincially funded uh, may have some alternate approaches to uh, do some of that work around exactly mental health, uh, suicide, addictions, poverty, homelessness, all those key things. And they're usually interrelated too. So there, we, we agree there's uh, many, many other approaches to this that do not involve a policing. Although I agree with you, Bill, we need to be at the table. Absolutely. And you've already started to build some of those relationships, uh, i.e. Uh, police services, of course, in St. Joe's and so many others as well. Great question, Michelle. Thanks so much for this. Uh, back to your calls, 905-645-3221, start 9900. Uh, John, you're next up in the program. Go ahead for the chief, John. How are you doing, guys? Great. Good, John. Uh, what I'm calling about is... Uh, traffic management and I see we're getting photo radar finally and it's got to do mostly with Binbrook area and there's serious accidents up there and the people have complained about speed and all that stuff and the cops are on that but since 2010 we had a meeting with traffic and the chief not this chief uh, recommendations and to implement. Some have, some have not. And I don't know if you realize there was a serious accident on Binbrook, I mean, airport in Nemo, most likely. Yes, I was at that scene. I'm well aware of it. Pardon? I was at that scene. I'm well aware of the accident. Yes. Uh, recommendation way back, there was another one about five years ago, and the one on Miles Road just last year. All got to do with whatever. Who's the blame? Who cares? Well, you suggested us put a, a flashing red light on that corner. It is bad. And I like to know when you people do your do your assessment of what the accident probable cause. Uh, do you recommend like uh, four-way stops, traffic lights, or who does that? Sure, and thanks for the question. There's a couple uh, questions in there. So first of all, it's city traffic that looks at the accident reports, what the actual signs, traffic signals, uh, lines, delineations, roundabouts, all that stuff. Um, in terms of photo radar that you mentioned, I've always been a big supporter of that, so I'm glad they're moving forward with that. Uh, relative to traffic management and fatalities, uh, at the budget last year, as you know, I advocated for... Uh, eight traffic officers to do exactly what you're talking about. Uh, we do know from the traffic safety plan that we do work with the city and public health. 
Yep, seemed to be having some technical problems with the chief. Uh, and, and a very important question that he was answering there, too. So, we, well, again, we apologize for the technical glitches here. Uh, we'll uh, try to reconnect with him in just a couple of seconds. Uh, and, and I'm glad John made the uh, the point about the photo radar. And I, I wanted to, to spend some time talking to the chief about that uh, as well on the program today because uh, it's amazing uh, to see the attitudes that have changed about that. I mean, it was a very contentious issue on a provincial basis uh, back in the early 1990s when the, uh, the government the Bob Ray government at that time uh, brought photo radar in, and a lot of folks complained about this and said it was unfair, and there were court challenges. And, uh, well, Mike Harris, when he ran for election in 1995, uh, one of his promises was, if you elect me, I'll scrap photo radar, which he did. Uh, and much to the consternation, by the way, of an awful lot of people in police services right across the province who actually thought it was a pretty effective tool to try to control some of the stuff that was going on. So uh, the fact that it's being embraced now I find uh, interesting. Uh, because of, uh, of the changing attitudes. But I think John is, is probably, uh, our caller, is reflective of an awful lot of attitudes that people have around this community about traffic safety and the, the speeding that's going on. Uh, the, you know, we've talked about this, I, I guess, every, every time the chief comes on the program. There's always concern about people that are just driving too quickly these days. And, uh, you know, we even saw that as, as a reflection of some of the COVID activity that, uh, that was happening because, uh, obviously, there were fewer people on the streets back in the early days of, uh, of the shutdown. And uh, some people took that as an opportunity to figure, okay, we're going to make this a dragway now. And police responded uh, in many different areas right now with a number of different tickets and, and enforcement about that sort of thing. But uh, as I'm sure the chief will tell us when we get them back on here, um, they can't be everywhere at once. And, uh, and uh, I know that photo radar is, is always considered to be a very effective tool for this. And uh, to his point, uh, there are 12 photo radar locations that are intended to catch speeders, and this is a city initiative. You know, the, the police don't have the control over this. This is being funded. This is by the city, uh, and it's, uh, I think, a, a, an idea whose time has come, and we're going to see this a lot more. You may remember the discussion uh, and just yesterday. We talked about the Red Hill Valley Inquiry that was going on and some of the traffic concerns and safety concerns about that roadway itself. And uh, more than one city councillor has suggested that photo radar be used on the link and on the Red Hill as one way to try to combat some of the excessive speed that's going on there. And, uh, well, it's, it's, an, it's a problem because it's actually uh, the provincial has, government has to weigh in on that, and they don't seem too uh, ready to do that. I think we have the chief back now. Do we, chief? Uh, I'm back again. Apparently, I got cut off again. Okay. <laughs> There's a technical issue. Uh, just for your uh, listeners, I'm not cutting off. Apparently, it's uh, it's just uh, one of those issues. So, well, we'll just put another quarter in the machine. Hopefully, that'll get us through okay. at the top of the hour. Uh, you were talking about photo radar, and I, I was just mentioning while we were hooking up with you again. I wanted to bring that up again today, anyway. And I was mentioning about how attitudes have changed. You know, back in the mid 1990s, uh, it was the bane of everybody's existence, except for the police officers I talked to that thought it was a great tool. It's really being embraced by many communities now, isn't it? I think because it does what it set out to do, which is reduce speeds, uh, reduce accidents. We know that the higher the speed, uh, the higher uh, nature of the injuries involved in the collisions, regardless of engineering. Um, did we get to, I don't know, before I got cut off, uh, Vision Zero, which is working with the city, working with public health, to whether it's an engineering approach, an enforcement approach, or otherwise. So it really is a collaborative approach to how can reduce, and I think photo radar is a good piece of that as well. Absolutely, and uh, that'll be instituted, by the way, over the next uh, 8 to 12 months, we're told. And uh, I, maybe like the red light cameras, maybe we're going to see a lot more of it in the, uh, the days and, and years ahead. We'll see about that. Uh, let me get yeah. back to some phone calls here. Uh, thanks, Chief. Uh, 645-3221, start 9900. Eric, thank you for holding on. Go ahead for the Chief, Eric. 
Yes, good morning. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned that so many civic leaders and uh, special interest groups are, are really uh, hammering at the police, uh, largely for what's going on in the States, and they're not making the differentiation between American policing and Canadian policing. And unfortunately, we have print media. We have a newspaper uh, that seems to be anti-police and has been for many years. But not enough voices are speaking out and supporting the police. And something that I would like to point out is... Uh, the quiet way that the police every year support marginalized and racialized, racialized and uh, low-income children by having an annual Christmas party. This is funded by the police uh, internal uh, charity fund. They have hundreds of kids at Carmen's for a full Christmas uh, celebration with their families. They've been doing it for 30 years, Bill, and they've, they've had 15,000 kids from low-income and marginalized and racialized families for a Christmas dinner, they don't they don't flaunt it. They don't look for publicity about it. And uh, I think a little bit more needs to be said about some of the really good things that they do in our community. Eric, great point, uh, Chief. Do you want to respond? You know, no one thanks for that. And yes, we do that work. Uh, I think relative to the debate, and you know, not to draw the distinction between the states and Canada. I do think it's different, but that's not the point. We are hearing voices, and that was your commentary earlier, Bill. Uh, yeah. There are voices who are speaking out, who have lived experience. Uh, I think, to your point, it's important to listen to those. Uh, you've got the city now um, initiating uh, reviews of those communities in terms of um, anti-hate policies and things like that. I think the dialogue is important. I think the other portion of the dialogue, and many have said, even those who are driving the defunding uh, narrative, okay, well, it's not just about removing all that money from the police and the policing, because as you know, 90% are salaries, so it means people not doing the work. Uh, but alternate approaches, we've always been in support of, and you mentioned, uh, you know, I think we're leaders on the MCERT, which is Mobile Crisis Rapid Response Team, and one of the reasons we were able to get mental health nurses out with our officers at those life-threatening calls, and we're one of the few jurisdictions that do it, is because uh, the local health integration network through Donna Cripps funded permanently those positions for uh, the nurses to ride with us. And the de-escalation that they can do through their specific expertise is extremely important. I mean, we're not talking about a handful of calls. Uh, we've had coasts for, you know, 23 years. That's usually after the fact with a plainclothes officer and, again, uh, a health practitioner. But the MCERT is uh, a mobile response to life-threatening calls. And there's 2,700 on average. We've been doing it five years. That is a lot of people in crisis, and obviously we do want a positive outcome. We do want them to get to the sports, and just to show that that's working, we've seen a decrease in apprehensions where we'll actually apprehend the person, take them to a medical facility to be seen by a specialist. They've decreased by 50%. So 50% of 2,700 is a lot of people not going into emergency rooms to see a psychiatrist, to see uh, the, the uh, you know, the uh, triage nurse, all that stuff. And with our uh, mental health practitioners that are with us, stream them to other things, whether it's their own support net network, their own psychiatrist or psychologist, uh, whatever needs to be done. So uh, I believe we've been leaders in that. And so as they're talking about this, uh, that it needs to be done, I would agree. Uh, but again, the funding, this was really a courageous effort, I think, by Donna Cripps, out of Lynn and Jody Younger, who had a lot to do with this as well, and uh, many others. 
um, this was an important initiative. So I think others are starting to look at this and uh, see its efficacy. Well, and we've had this discussion uh, long before I, I, I took my time off there, too. I think it was one of the last uh, town halls you and I did, Chief, uh, because there is a call going out. I mean, we see this on the news all the time, and, you know, the, and the cry for defunding of police, which I think is the wrong verb to be using, by the way. Uh, if you want to talk about a reevaluation, yeah, sure. I th and I know you're on side with that, too, to, to look at how money is spent. Uh, but every department in the city should be like that in an ongoing basis. So, yeah, let's have that discussion. But if you're going to have the discussion, uh, let's talk about, okay, how it's going to look if you're going to do that, okay? If you take, say, we don't want that department to do this anymore, who's going to fill the gap? And how's that going to be funded? I mean, that, that, there has to be a much broader discussion here, doesn't there? Well, there's a big piece once you make that move to concrete uh, you know, uh, actions to actually do things. Uh, we, of course, have to look at civil and criminal liability and the oversight that comes with that. You have to look at policy. You have to look at funding. You have to look at sustainability, all those things. And again, when I refer to the Lynn stepping forward for a half million dollars a year to fund the mental health nurses out with our people, um, that's the type of thing, if you're going to implement it, then it has to be sustainable because if they take the stuff from us, which is fine. If we have other people who are more expert and come to uh, the same or better outcomes, that's fine. Uh, but it really requires that forward thinking to say, um, how are we going to make that sustainable? I think that just supports where, what you've said, Bill. Exactly. Well, I know there's a report coming to the Police Services Board shortly that uh, may start that conversation going once again, and I know you and I will certainly talk about it. Chief, as always, we're out of time. I, I apologize to the folks we couldn't get to today, and uh, we also apologize for some of the technical glitches. We'll try to get those worked out in the next little while. Uh, thanks again for the time, Chief. Uh, stay safe, and we'll talk again soon. You too. Thanks, Bill. Take care. Hamilton Chief of Police, Eric Gerd, in the Chief's Town Hall. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.